Let me begin by expressing my appreciation to Truett Seminary for the invitation to come and share these next few moments with you as the speaker in chapel. I also want to thank Dr. Diana Garland for the invitation for us to be here for this conference uh, where we've been invited to rethink mission. And uh, Cindy and I both have truly been blessed as we have listened to uh, Dr. Christian and we've been challenged by what he's shared with us. Some of you have been a part of this conference. Also just uh, his persona has truly uh, challenged us and we're grateful for his work and Steve Corbett also for the the words that you share with us last night and both of these men have have written very profound books that have uh, caused all of us to to just give pause to what we're doing in mission I, I told both of them yesterday that I read Dr. Christian's book and it hurt my brain <clears throat> it's just a challenging read I read Steve's book and it hurt my feelings because I at least thought I was doing something and I discovered most of it was wrong after reading his book. So it's been quite a challenge to hear these two men in person. Also would express my appreciation to Cindy, my wife, who has really uh, led me in a, in a mission journey personally and, and what she shared today was very powerful. And our, one of our mentors in mission is here on this faculty, Mike Stroop. Uh, Mike has had just a, a huge role in our lives in helping to shape us and form us missionally. And his pastor, Mike Fritcher, who's a dear friend of mine, also has been an inspiration to us. And anytime I have the opportunity to, to stand here in this pulpit, obviously I want to thank Dr. David Garland uh, for his leadership at Truett Seminary and, and just the, uh, the invitation. But also uh, I will express my appreciation to Paul Powell and uh, the mentor that Paul has been to me for most of my ministry life and the friendship that we share. The uh, time that I'm going to spend with you this morning, I want you to know I will share with you my perspective from being a pastor of a local church. I'm not a, uh, a missionary. I'm not a missiologist. I'm not really a, a professor. I've served on the adjunct faculty here, and I appreciate David allowing me to do that. And Typically for you students, what that means is when you can't afford a real professor, you add junk, and I was part of the junk that was added, and uh, it's just how that goes, but, but I've enjoyed that time, but that's not really who I am. Uh, I am a pastor. I'm a, I'm a Baptist preacher. That's where I have chosen to, to live my life and spend my career in ministries where God's called me. So as I have been addressing this topic in my own life, rethink mission the only way I know how to do that is to rethink mission in the local church because that's where I live. That's, that's the place where I'm engaged in my life and in the work that God's called me to. And as a pastor, I have five priorities, and this really has nothing to do with the message I want to share with you, but everything I do is filtered through these five priorities. And so if, if you're serving as a pastor in a church, I hope you've thought about what your priorities are. I know what mine are. Mine are, are biblical literacy. I want to make sure the people that I shepherd actually know the Bible. Uh, I want uh, also to accomplish doctrinal competency. One of the things that needs to be happening is that the people of God need to be theologically astute. So we talk about complex theological issues. I'm interested in spiritual maturity because we want to see the people of God growing and, and developing as mature followers of Jesus. I also want to develop what I would call missional community. Our people are called to live together, and we live together on mission. And I'm interested in pastoral sufficiency. You have to pastor the people of God. And so those are the five priorities for me as a pastor. So everything that I, I think about, the things that we choose to do at our church, all of them feed in somehow to those five priorities. 
And so even this conversation that I want to have with you this morning about rethinking mission, it comes from that perspective. Because if it, if it doesn't fit into one of those priorities, it's very difficult for me to justify it, spend time thinking about it or investing in it as a local pastor of a local congregation. So you've heard the text read already this morning, and I'm grateful that we've had a chance to hear it. Uh, I love this church, the church at Antioch. Uh, I can remember when I first went to seminary, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do, and one of our professors asked in class, what do you want to do with your life? And I'd spent most of my time in college uh, in the pre-medical science field, so I didn't know hardly anything about uh, theology except for what I'd learned in Sunday school and and so I just answered, well, I think I want to work in a New Testament church. And he looked at me and said, which one? Well, I didn't realize there were options. <clears throat> and it took me a while to learn. There are actually several New Testament churches, some better than others, wouldn't you agree? And this one is the one that's just captured my attention. I love the church at Antioch. And I want us this morning to just spend some time learning from this church about the real topic for me this morning. And the real topic for me this morning is God's plan. If I'm going to rethink mission, then what I need to be most interested in is God's plan. And so I would just challenge you as a, as a seminary student or as a leader in your mission arena, that's really the goal of your life is to discover God's plan. And you need to focus your attention on God's plan. Because whether we're addressing poverty, as we've had this conversation for the last two days, whether we're trying to address social justice or we're engaging ourselves in, in political action or we're going to be a part of a, of a relief effort or we're going to try to move people to, to where there's really more development taking place, all of it as Christians has to fit into God's plan. It's all got to be according to His plan. So that's what we need to focus on. And the church at Antioch, as, as I read this text, understood that. And so I just want to walk through just a few notes about God's plan and let this church uh, serve as an example for us. And hopefully it will be a learning community for us today. Here's what I've learned through the years of studying the Bible and just living my life as a Christian about God's plan. First of all, God reveals his plan. God doesn't have a plan and he wants to keep it secret. That's not how God works. God is very good at revealing his plan. When you go back and read the Old Testament and you, you read the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. And, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a scholar enough to understand, was that a real tower that was being built? You need to have that conversation with the people here that know that kind of thing. I tend to read the Bible simply. So to me, it was a tower that was being built in a place called Babel. That's how I approach it. So... However, here's what I notice in that story. These people wanted to make a name for themselves. Now, I want to give you a clue. If you are out to make a name for yourself, that's probably not God's plan. Because I read on the very next page, Genesis 12, God says to Abram, I will make your name great. That was God's plan. And would you say God has been successful? Is Abraham a great name? Ask a Muslim. Is Abraham a great name? Ask a Jew. Is Abraham a great name? Ask a Christian. Is Abraham a great name? Way to go, God. It worked. You said, I'm going to make your name great. And guess what? That's exactly what's happened. I cannot name one person who built the Tower of Babel. Can you? 
But God said his plan was to make his name great. But it was even deeper than that. Here's what he said. He said, I'm going to bless all the families in the earth. I'm going to bless all the nations in the world through your family. That was God's plan. God came to Moses and said, here's my plan. I'm going to rescue my people. I've heard their cries. I'm going to rescue them. God came to Jeremiah. He said, here's my plan. I'm going to give my people a new covenant. And so God is, he's an expert at revealing his plan. If you want to know what God's plan for the church is, then just listen to Jesus. And so Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Someone asked me the other day, they said, what's your favorite quote about mission? And I said, anything Jesus said. That would be my favorite quote about mission. Jesus is the one who lets us know about the mission. Jesus said in Matthew 16, here is what I'm going to do. I'm going to establish the church. So God has shown us his plan. His plan is that he is going to to work through the church. He's established it. Jesus said that. And the church is to take Jesus to the ends of the earth. Second thing I notice about God's plan is God's plan is the plan. You know, when the Bible opens and God speaks everything into existence, the first two pages of the Bible are powerful. Reveals a lot about God. But the third page of the Bible is where everything falls apart. And so once human beings sin and then the judgment of God is unleashed, evil begins to appear on this planet, well then God responds to all of that. And he responds to it personally. God addresses the the nature of evil and God addresses it through a family. He chooses to work through Abraham and then he begins to reveal himself through the law and through the prophets and he begins to promise that one day he's going to personally pay attention to the problem of humanity and so he actually sends his son Jesus. Now he's created us according to his plan in his image, the Bible says in Genesis 1, And so that means that human beings have the unique capacity to bear God's image in creation. No other member of creation gets that. The Bible does not say any of the rest of creation was created in God's image, just human beings. And then in Isaiah 43, we read that we have the capacity to actually reflect the glory of God. That human beings have the chance to somehow reflect God's glory. But because of sin, because of our brokenness, because of the challenges that we have to deal with, because of the fall of humanity, the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. So the very thing we're designed to do, we can't do. And the image of God is marred within us. And so God chooses to answer our dilemma by sending His Son, Jesus. And Jesus now bears the image of God. He's the exact representation of who God is. And God's glory is on display in Jesus in the fullest expression that it could ever be on display through any human being. John says, when we saw him, we beheld his glory. And then the Bible says that once we've been redeemed, we now can begin to fulfill that original obligation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 that when the Spirit of God becomes a part of our lives, there's freedom and we now move from glory to glory to glory. So that's the plan. It's for the, the redemption and the salvation of every human being who's been crafted in the image of God to live into the fullness of God's original design for them. And for them to be able to reflect God's glory in their lives. 
The New Testament is a little more specific about God's plan. As a matter of fact, you know where uh, Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 9, it's God's desire that none should perish. In uh, 1 Timothy 2, 4, Paul says, God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, just as an aside, if you ever want to have just an interesting conversation with your Calvinist friends, just read them those two verses. Because what will happen then, you need to make sure you have time, though, to talk to them because I was reading an article the other day and one of the Calvinist friends of mine said, well, those are the two verses that in the Bible that are the pillars of Arminianism. And I said to myself, I just call them Bible verses. <laughs> but I know that if I engage some of my Calvinist buddies with those two verses, it will initiate a two-hour conversation about the differences in the will of God in my limited understanding of that. And one day I'll be in the know and I'll be just as smart and understand it as they do. But nevertheless... All I know is God has expressed his will that none should perish. It's his desire that everybody be saved. That's what the Bible says. So what's God's plan? Well, his plan is through the church to take this message to the ends of the earth. That's his plan. And so the church at Antioch, they have experienced some type of persecution. They're now making their way to Antioch, and they've got to decide how are they going to respond to God's plan in a new place that they didn't fully understand, and there was nobody there to guide them. That leads me to the third truth about God's plan. God will use whoever's ready. That's just a great word to me. God will use whoever's ready. I I love this in, in Acts 11, verse 20. Here's what it says. It says, some men began to take the gospel beyond the confines of Israel to the Hellenists, to the Gentiles perhaps. Well, who are they? We don't know. It's just some men. Don't you love that? This is not necessarily a Hall of Fame roster in Antioch. These are just ordinary, run-of-the-mill Christian people. And they believed that God was calling them to take the gospel to everybody because they didn't know any better. And so God uses whoever's ready. When I was pastoring years ago in Tyler... And I worked for Paul Powell. He was the pastor at Green Acres at the time. I was pastoring a mission church. I had a young man on my staff named Kevin Greeson. And Kevin had a burden for the world. He would come into my office. He was our youth minister at our church. Dear friend of mine, still is to this day. And Kevin would come into my office. He would say things like this to me. He'd say, Dennis, we need to pray for an awakening. We need to pray for a mighty movement of the Spirit of God. We need right now to get on our knees and ask God to just breathe His Spirit on us. And I would say, okay, I need to know if you've got enough adult volunteers for that lock-in tonight. That's what I need to know. I mean, we can pray for all that, but I need to know that you've gotten your work done because the last lock-in didn't go so well. I can't tell you how many of those conversations Kevin and I had. He would come in with this lofty goal to make me feel guilty, and then I would say, well, what I want to know is, do we have enough people to go to camp? That's what I really need to know. I'll pray with you in just a second. So Kevin gets through seminary somehow. He would not have been known as a stellar student. That was not his gift. But you know what? All his ministry, he has prayed for an awakening. And guess where Kevin Greeson is now? He is in the midst of leading one of the greatest outpourings of the Spirit of God among Muslims that's ever happened in the history of Islam. God has answered the prayers. 
of a man who was ready. And he's written a book called The Camel Method. It's a simple method on how to take Jesus to Muslims. Cindy mentioned earlier today in her message about this young evangelist named Umaru. Cindy and I were in Niger and we were working among the Fulani. And the Fulani are very proud people and they have all kinds of rules about how they do things. And we're at this, this small conference, just a handful of believers. And there's a guy seated, seated right in the middle of these Fulani and he's just vibrant. And he starts telling us his story and he says, you know, I was in my village after I became a follower of Jesus, and we had our first child, and there's a huge naming ceremony when that happens. And all the elders, the Muslims, gathered around us. He's the only believer in his village. And he said, it was time for me as the father to announce the name of my child. And I told the village and the elders and the chief, my child was going to be named John. And he said, the, the village elder looked at him and said, well, Umaru, that's not a family name. He said, I know. He said, Umaru, that's... That's not a Muslim name. He said, I know. I'm naming my son John the Baptist. And he said, because I've been reading in my Bible that John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus among his people, and I'm praying that my son will prepare the way of Jesus among my people. His name is John the Baptist. I told my wife, that's the guy we're going to hook up with. He's a nobody among the Fulani because he's a slave. He's not even full-blood Fulani. And so we told one of our workers there, we need to hook up with Umaru. She said, no, Umaru's not the guy's slave class. So we talked to another worker and said, you know, we think we need to bless Umaru. It's not the guy's slave class. We've got to find somebody else. Y'all, today, praise God, a few years later, Umaru is the man. He's leading the most active church growth and planting effort in that country among the Fulani. God uses whoever's ready. And so don't be surprised if you're not ready that he just may pass you by and use somebody else until you figure it out. So God uses whoever's ready. The church at Jerusalem, they weren't ready. That leads me to my next point. God's plan will be resisted. Don't you wish whenever you discovered God's plan, everybody would stand up and applaud? Way to go, man. That's awesome. You guys got it going on. Let me just tell you something from experience. That's usually not how it works. Church at Jerusalem heard what was going on in Antioch. And guess what they did? What did they do? They sent Barnabas to check it out. Now, praise God, it was Barnabas. Because Barnabas shows up and sees what's happening. And remember, he was full of the Spirit. Barnabas was there as an emissary from Jerusalem. Now, we know the church at Jerusalem was an awesome church, but they still had issues they had to deal with. As a matter of fact, in Acts 15, we had some Christians who were Pharisees in that church who said, now, wait a minute, you can't just let these Gentiles just come wholesale into the church. We've got to test them first. We've got to make sure they're Jewish enough to become a part of this family and this movement. Well... That kind of psyche was there in the church at Jerusalem. Barnabas shows up and he realizes that this is the hand of God. It's the work of God. You know, when you're following the Jesus way, it's interesting to me. uh, Jesus referred to it as the narrow way. Now, those of you that are Greek scholars, you know the word that's translated narrow is actually the word for affliction. Don't you wish Jesus would have used another word to describe his way? Don't you wish Jesus would have called it like the fairway way? broad greens in front of you, fun, 
grass always cut just right. You always have a perfect lie. Don't you wish he called us to the fairway? But that's not what he did. That's not what he said. The narrow way is fraught with resistance. And sometimes the resistance even comes from within the family of God. That leads me to another truth. Are you all still with me? Okay. God's plan is blessed by his presence. And it's accomplished by his power. When Barnabas shows up, he recognizes that. As a matter of fact, verse 21, what does Luke tell us about this church? He says, the Lord's hand was with them. That's God's presence. And what was the evidence of God's power? A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. How many times do you read that in Acts? Luke would just stop and say, a great number of people believed. Even some of the priests believed. There are prominent women who believed. There was a great host of folks who were converted, 3,000 at Pentecost. The thing that you need to know about God's plan is that when you choose to receive it and you choose to engage in it, He will be present with you. And what that means is His power will accomplish His plan. You know why? Because His plan is important to Him. It means something to Him. And so He wants you to be a part of accomplishing His plan with His power. The sixth thing I learned from this text about God's plan is that God's plan will be affirmed, though, through people. God knows us, and he understands that we do need people who believe in us. We just do. And so Barnabas shows up. He sees what's happening. Now, I don't know how he was received. How do y'all think he would have been received? Just put yourself in their spot. How would you have received him? What if you had gotten the word from one of the leaders in the church and, and that leader said, hey, let me tell you all something. The church at Jerusalem kind of heard what's going on here. They're sending a guy down to check it out. What would you be saying? That's great. Why don't you let me host him? I'll make him feel really welcome. <clears throat> Why don't you tell him to stay in Jerusalem? Why don't you tell him that? What was that like? You know, sometimes we read these stories and, they, and it's hard to climb inside them. We need to climb inside these stories and wonder, what, what must that have been like? Well, guess what? Barnabas shows up, and this is what I love, y'all. He looks at this church, he affirms it as a man of God, and then he says, I tell you what, I'm going to be right back. I've got to go get Saul. <laughs> Do you think Barnabas had been tempted during his entire time in the church at Jerusalem to go get Saul? And bring him to that church? No. He gets to Antioch. He looks around, sniffs around a little bit, looks at all these people, sees the hand of God. He knows a guy who needs the hand of God. He knows a guy that will be beneficial to that church. And he also knows this church is going to be beneficial to him. And so what does he do? He goes and gets Saul and brings him back. Don't you want to be in that kind of church that when people show up, they say, you know what, I'm going to be right back. I've got to go get my friend. He needs this kind of church. Don't you want to be that kind of church? God affirms his plan through people. Think how affirmed these folks in Antioch felt when Barnabas goes and gets somebody like Saul And they believe they need that church. Let me tell you something else about God's plan. It'll challenge us. It'll challenge us. And these folks showed up in Antioch and it was a diverse place. They didn't really know, I'm sure, how to respond there. We're not really sure how many of them had ever even been to Antioch. Antioch was this massive city. How many people? 
I don't know, 300,000, is that right, Dr. Steele? Maybe 500,000 were in Antioch at the time, you New Testament guys, something like that. Just some, in other words, this is not some backwater, you know, Mertens, Texas, where I pastored when I started. This is a major metropolitan area. Where do you start? What are you supposed to do? And you got all these different kind of people here in this town. Look how diverse it is. And, you know... They've got, to, they've got to respond to this. It's challenging. You know, whenever God reveals his plan to you, here's what he's usually going to do. He's usually going to call you beyond your competency. That's one of the sure signs God might be in this. So often we want to limit God to our competency. Come on, y'all. Why would you do that? Why do you want to reduce God down to your size? Why don't you grow more toward who he is? I can't tell you how many pastors I've talked to who will say to me, well, you know, Dennis, that sounds really great, but our church can't. Ooh, be careful. When you start a sentence with our church can't, I'm just going to tell you right now, be careful how you finish that sentence because you're talking about the bride of Christ. You're talking about the instrument that God himself through his son established on this earth and through which he's chosen to accomplish his purposes. Don't you poor mouth it. So if you're going to say something about the church, be careful what you say. And so I'm just telling you, when God reveals his plan, more than likely it's going to challenge you in every respect. This church gets going. Next thing you know, the church that has checked them out, the church has had to kind of say, well, okay, uh, we're going to cautiously let y'all in. All of a sudden the word comes, they need help because they need money. Now how was that received? Can you imagine being in that business meeting? Hey, y'all. I need to tell y'all, the church up at Jerusalem, they're needing a little bit of financial help. You're talking about the church at Jerusalem. That's who you're talking about? That sent What was that guy's name they sent down here at Barnabas? Yeah, whoever. They, they sent some guy down here, and now they want my money? You've got to be kidding me. Well, guess what? This church was challenged beyond what they knew. So what did they do? They took up an offering, and they gave as they had need. Because the calling of God, when he reveals his plan to us, it's going to challenge us, whether it's emotionally or spiritually or financially. The good news is also, God's plan has room for you. That's good news. As a matter of fact, God's even designed you for your role in his plan. You've just got to discover it. God's plan has room for you. He's made room for you. He's written you into his script. That's how much you mean to him. He's looked at you. He's looked at your skills, your gifts, your passions, your experiences, your perspective, your ability to contribute. And he's written you into his plan. One other word about God's plan. God's plan is deeper, richer, grander, more glorious, more compelling, more transcendent, more beautiful, more holistic, more gracious, more expansive, more exhaustive, more adventurous, more diverse, more loving, and just plain more good than your plan. <clears throat> That's God's plan. And he wants you to be a part of it. You know, I pastor a real church. My church doesn't glow in the dark. It's got real people in it. 
As a matter of fact, some of my church members are here today. We have some right here who are part of our church. And, uh, and so it's a real church. We're in a very diverse community. God's put us there. We've been there since 1871. We only have one or two charter members that have, have survived. <laughs> that church has made its way through all kinds of things. But you know what? That church has had to respond to challenges. That church has had to respond to, to issues that were beyond their competency. The church at Antioch. You come to Acts 13. After Saul and Barnabas are welcomed and they become a part of the body and everybody sees how talented they are and how visionary they are and how much they're going to contribute to the body, what does God do with them in Acts 13? He takes them away from the church. Because remember, God's plan is bigger than your plan. God's plan is grander than your plan. And so if the only plan at Antioch was to build a really good church, that wasn't big enough for God. God's plan reached all the way around the world. And so he said, I need those two guys, and took them. And the church graciously, the Bible says, released them. Our church, like I said, 1871, we've been through World War I. We, we helped with reconstruction of Texas after the Civil War. In that community, our church has been through the Great Depression. Our church has been through World War II, the, the, the Korean War. The, the, we've had folks who've been a part of all of that, the turbulent 60s, the 70s, 80s, made it through the 21st century. Our church has been there a long time. And our community has drastically changed around us. As a matter of fact, we just commissioned a study of our community. And our community, uh, as it's been evaluated by these experts, what they tell us is that in America today, there are 50 distinct lifestyle segments, like young urban professionals or educated young starters or all those kinds of nomenclatures used. And here's what they told us. We asked this group to analyze our ministry context Within a 10-mile radius of our church, tell us who's there. Here's what we found out. A million people live within 10 miles of First Baptist Arlington. So it's a very populated place. They gave us this little cover page just to help us digest the statistics. And the cover page says this. You have, living within 10 miles of your church, significant representations of 45 of the 50 distinct lifestyle segments in America, making your church located in one of the most diverse cosmopolitan communities in the entire United States. Now, we're talking about Arlington, Texas, and that's where our church is. And what we've discovered is that study is exactly right. Our community has changed. We, we're looking at what's taking place. Do you know that in our community, the children that are now in grade school, there's the, the minority children form a majority. Seventy percent of the children are now minorities. Only 30 percent of the children that are in that school district represent the Anglo, what used to be the majority in that community. In my church, on Sunday morning, I feel like I'm standing at a meeting in the United Nations. This past two weeks, we've had people join our church from Cote d'Ivoire, from Tanzania, from the Congo. A little family joined last Sunday from Syria. We've had, I've baptized a man from Iran. I baptized his daughter. I'm baptizing his son in two weeks. Our church is filled with people from all walks of life. It's a very diverse group of people. We made a decision to ask God, what's your plan for us? And here's what we believe God told us. We believe God's told us to put, put the face of the gospel incarnationally at every place we can in that community. So we've chosen to face our community every way we know how with an incarnational expression of the gospel. So... We have a ministry for people who are sexually broken. It's called Living Hope. 
It is now the largest ministry of that type in the world. We have 18,000 people who are on our online forums from 148 different countries looking for help to find their way out of that lifestyle. We have a campus in Arlington. We have a campus at College Station. We have a campus in Denton. We have a counseling center that that treats the the psychological challenges of the people who live in our community. We have 11 full-time counselors on our staff. 90% of our clients are not from our church. We have a contract with the city of Arlington. We, We provide the educational testing for children that struggle in school. We have have started a ministry to train people to live cross-culturally across the world. And so we've sent people from our church, trained them, sent them, and support them. And they're living in China. They're living in Indonesia. They live in Niger. They live in Sierra Leone, uh, in the Honduras. They're scattered across the world. And our church blesses them and supports them and works with them. India. We've also decided to invest ourselves in the project that Cindy spoke of earlier today, Restore Hope. We've helped build a building in, in uh, Freetown in Sierra Leone. And we pray for the ministry that's housed there, the transformational holistic ministries. We've faced Niger with the gospel. And we just sent last year 40 tons of grain to people who were starving because of the famine. We have tried to minister to the people in our community through Mission Arlington. And it's an incredible ministry. We now have 329 apartment churches that minister to 3,500 people every Sunday morning. We're averaging, providing assistance for about 800 people every single day. We provided medical care for almost 6,000 people last year for free. We provided dental care for over 5,000 patients last year for free. We provided relief for 52,000 families in 2012 in the name of Jesus. And so this church is trying to just respond to God's plan. And every single time we're led by Him, we're led beyond our competency. And so let me just give you one clue when you're trying to figure it out. Here's what happens to me. When I'm sitting in a room with us as we're talking, and sometimes one of us will say, well, you know, Pastor, I just don't think there's any way we can do that. That's when my antenna goes up and I say, well, you know what? That just might be from God then. (laughs) Because I want him to call me beyond what I, Dennis Wiles, can do. It's time for us to rethink mission in the local church.